This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by the Travel Ability Summit, a first ever gathering of travel industry professionals with products and services that are innovatively dedicated to improving travel experiences for individuals with physical, behavioral, and cognitive disabilities. Its aim is to make destinations accessible to everyone. The inaugural summit is scheduled for San Francisco on November 12th and 13th and features such DMO voices as Dave Lorenz, Carrie Westland, Mark Garcia, and Mary Kay Verba. For more information, go to TravelAbilitySummit.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Julie Pinkston, CDME, CMP, CTA. She is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the Greater Lansing Convention and Visitors Bureau. She's been with the GLCVB for 26 years, and she's responsible for overall organizational operations. She also has a direct oversight over convention services, membership, the Greater Lansing Sports Authority, the Visitor Center, Certified Tourism Ambassador Program, and special events which are coordinated by the organization. What, you were bored? (laughs) Julie serves as the community liaison to relevant committees and programs throughout the region. She was the Michigan Meetings and Events Magazine's Hall of Fame inductee supplier of the year in 20, or rather in 2008, uh, MSAE's Diamond Award winner in 2009, MMPI's Mentor of the Year in 2011, the Arts Council of Greater Lansing's Leadership Award recipient in 2016, South Lansing Business Alliance Lifetime Achievement Award winner in 2018, and just this year, the Governor's Award for Innovative Tourism Collaboration for Sensory Friendly Lansing. Julie Pinkston, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for asking me. Well, you know, we had that chance to connect um, this summer at Destinations International in St. Louis, and you shared with me uh, the, well, the very program that you were awarded for uh, this year earlier, um, that Visit Lansing has developed this program to address some of the very things that Jake Steinman's Travel Ability Summit is going to be discussing, making a visit to Lansing accessible to everyone. And don't we all want that? But I think so many of us don't even have the faintest idea of where to start. But clearly, you do. So here's your first question. What inspired your DMO to be one of the innovators in intentionally targeting this market? Well, it all started with a really simple question from our Performing Arts Center that's located um, on Michigan State University's campus. They're a very innovative theater. They actually are number 10 in the world for venues of our size between two and 5,000 seats. So they're always pushing the envelope and, and being on the cutting edge. And they were going to offer a 100% sensory-friendly performance of Disney's The Lion King. And they asked that simple question of how can the CVB help us market this show? Because we still have an entire theater to fill, and we want to really make this a special opportunity. So we started to think, yeah, I mean, of course, that's what we do. We will certainly help market this the whole run of the show, but how can we target this one specific performance? So we started to talk amongst ourselves, talk amongst our partners within the community, and had to really step back and say, okay, tell us more, what is a sensory-friendly performance? And for those who may not be aware, (laughs) 
Right, yeah. right. Especially and so how, how, how do we start with that? So if you're not aware, really the premise and what Disney has been very innovative in doing is is it's it's an opportunity for the theater to have full sensory awareness of how the the show will impact those that that just have processing difficulties with loud noises and bright lights and and things that are unexpected. So the show had lower sound. Uh, there were designated quiet areas that were going to be set up. There were going to be a lot of rules that usually a typical theater enforces were not going to be in play. So people could bring in an iPad if, and have the the sensory connectivity to that tool that helps a lot of people that may be on the autism spectrum. There was going to be able to be talking and you weren't going to be shushed. And if you needed to stand up, you could stand up. So as we got into that, what it even is, then we thought, yeah, we can absolutely do this and help you market it. But I think we can do more. So what did that look like? We had, from when they contacted us, and when we all started working together, we had a, just over a year to really put some things together. So we thought, what if we promote all the other things that were starting to bubble up in our community related to sensory-friendly programming? So we we met with those partners and and got to really be able to almost, we weren't really trying to create a package for that weekend because going to the Lion King was going to be enough. But if we had an audience that was traveling here for that performance, how could we intrigue them and, and offer them other opportunities to come back and know that our community was invested in having them visit us and have them come to our community for these special opportunities. So, we got more knowledge. We realized there was a really a lot of opportunity. So many theaters, attractions, and museums have really been initiating sensory inclusive programs throughout the country. Um, but we didn't really have a model of a destination putting this all together and kind of marketing that as a destination asset. So from the business standpoint, we thought there was a lot of opportunity there to offer something that maybe wasn't being offered before. But then as we got more involved in it, it really became, this is just the right thing to do. Currently, it's one in 59 children are diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And obviously, many adults are living and working in our communities with these neurodiverse um, sensitivities. So how can we make travel available to this audience? So you know, one of our key consultants is with the MidMichigan Autism Association. And she has a 15-year-old son who I often think of during all of this work that we've done. And when they were young, when he was a three-year-old and diagnosed, there were no opportunities for him to, to go anywhere. They were very much isolated in their home and not able to participate in community activities or, or go to different locations around the state to have things that maybe would just make it a little bit easier for them. So we really thought we could address some of these issues as a destination and really have put together what I feel is a, is a real comprehensive program for our destination. And what I find fascinating is that, I mean, the Lion King got you on the path, right? But once on the path, you found that there really were a number of assets throughout the community that were already in this sphere, if you will. And so, like you said, you didn't have to the struggle to put together a package, it actually kind of tumbled towards you. And it was just a question of connecting the dots. Lansing is clearly 
a different kind of community. I mean, we all know that. Would you believe, though, that those of us throughout the country would find the same kind of programs if we just took the cover off and and looked for them? Yes, I think so. I mean, we've used best practices from other attractions and other locations, and that's what really got some of our colleagues at the attraction level to, to really jump on this and start to initiate programs if they weren't already because their colleagues were already doing it around the country. They were hearing of it as a best practice. And so they were anxious to be able to jump in this space and with us as a destination, putting it all together, I think it made it easier for everyone to come together and let's all do this together, share ideas, share best practices, and really get this going in all of our locations and not just a handful. You know, I think it's interesting. So few of us probably, especially those of us that have never been faced with a family member or a friend with with sensory issues, a trip down the um, underground corridor between uh, concourse A and concourses B and C in the Detroit airport is always this sensory overload of music and lights. And I don't know if you've noticed, but just in the past couple of months, they've installed buttons at the beginning and end of those corridors uh, saying, hey, uh, if, if this is going to be a problem, push the button and the lights will go off and, and the music will tone down. And I thought, wow, this is way more of a thing, I think, as you said, one in, what, 59. This is way more of a thing today than that. It's exciting that the travel industry and destination marketing organizations like yours are getting serious about making sure that our destinations, our attractions uh, are safe uh, for everyone. So yours is not the only DMO to go deep in this space. Visit Mesa uh, says they're the first autism certified destination in the country. But you told me that to really serve this market, You need to be, and the word you used was committed. Tell me how you've brought your community partners together and gotten the same level of commitment from them that you and the staff at the Lansing Bureau have. So that, I guess, was the really exciting part of this all. As we began to build the program, it was the community partners at all levels that started to immediately say yes. There was never a hesitation. So that was what made this whole thing come together so easily. And everyone was sharing resources. And I think one of the biggest things is some of our early, you know, conversations with especially, you know, executive level decision making is, well, what's the ROI on this? How does this help? What does this do? And I think you have to set that aside uh, to a degree. I mean, obviously, it is doing the right thing. And if you have 10 people that come to something on a Tuesday night at one of your attractions, that's sometimes just as important in terms of ROI as 300 people coming and those 10 people that were maybe able to travel or experience something that they've never done before. So we started looking at it with a different ROI lens as well and really taking that step back that this is something different and you have to be purposeful and you have to to be committed, as you said. So we just started building and having instant buy-in. So as a destination marketing organization, our job became, um, from our opinion, that we just needed to put this all together. So we encouraged all of our partners and attractions to start offering the program, and they all came through with that um, by working with our local consultants. We're very fortunate to have Michigan State University in our backyard. So they were very instrumental in helping with some of the consultation and best practices on how to make sure that we do this right. 
So then as a destination, we we created a web page. So it's lansing.org slash sensory friendly. And so we started building things on that website. So we knew a key to to traveling with a family member on the spectrum and really with anybody is that pre-planning piece. So uh, 360 tours were suggested as a very good way to really interact mm-hmm. with the location and have that virtual tour before you actually had to walk in the door and be overwhelmed with the unknown and, and what you weren't familiar with. So we worked with a partner called Ableize who enhanced some of the 360 tours that we already had within the destination and kept adding more. So all of our attractions can now be seen virtually before you arrive. And those were all put on this website so that they were easily accessible. And then we took our calendar of events. And I think in any DMO, that's a very hot spot on a website. And we made a uh, searchable tag that was sensory friendly. So all of those events that get tagged for sensory friendly were then pulled into our specific web page. And that then populates for all those very specific activities that people then don't have to go through lots of other information to find the resources that they need. And then a really big step that connects a lot of the dots was we worked with our partners to put sensory toolkits in each of our attractions. So 15 or 16 of our attractions and the airport and other key locations have those toolkits, which is something that a guest can borrow or check out while they're in interacting in the space and they have noise canceling headphones they have fidgets that you can keep your fingers busy and keep active and a weighted blanket so all of our attractions have those so our visitors are learning that anywhere they go in mm-hmm. our destination they will be able to find those resources so most families and parents especially are very prepared but we want to make sure that that's available right here for them Interesting, because you say you've got 18 or so partners who are all in, who who have the kits, who are committed to doing the right thing for those who, who need a little extra help in consuming our destination. Most of us, I think, struggle to get our partners to fully buy into anything, uh, any of our programs, much less something... In, well, that's true. In, yeah, <laughs> Very true. Yeah, much less something in which most of them likely don't have as much experience uh, in, and it, it, it's harder to pull them down this path. So you say that that the parents of or those who are sensory challenged will will probably do a better job of pre-planning, and they probably know what destination attractions are appropriate for them and and are welcoming them and want them and all this. How do you get this to be something like what Mesa claims is that it's destination wide? Is your community beyond your 18 or so partners? Are they ready for this kind of visitor? And is there is there a concern that, that visitors will hear about those 18 and come and expect it to be destination wide? How does a community like Lansing make the claim and then deliver? So that, I think, was the biggest question that we asked ourselves. If we built all this, could we deliver? And that's literally the words that we used. Uh, And at the time, so when this all started, we said, yeah, no, probably not at all. There's not enough information in our community, especially at that frontline level, to be able to deliver on any kind of promise made through this whole strategy. So 
we um, took that piece and to date we have trained over 850 people in the community to be able to best serve our neurodiverse guests at the front line. So, and that's ongoing. And that's been, I think the biggest success story that, I mean, our, our training, uh, is, is a very comprehensive training, but it's also, it could be used for someone that every day is running into people out in, out and about in the community. It's not hospitality specific. It's not anything. It's, it's just how do you do the right thing and be the right person to to help our guests that just may have more difficulty doing things um, out in the community. So with the training, I think the key takeaway that our, our consultant that is still doing all the trainings, I think her, her last slide in every training is, if I can't leave you with anything else, but this question is just, how can I help? That's the key question. If you have a guest and there's a meltdown happening in the front lobby and everyone's checking in and it's very chaotic, what can you do to help? And many people might say, oh, we've got this. We're good. We know how to handle this. But we're now educating our, our especially our hotels and other front lines is, do you have a quiet space that people could go to just to step out of that fray when they need to? If they do say, you know, is there a place that I could could take a moment and, and have that? So that was a, a big change. And, and the takeaway that she came up with was, how can I help? I mean, that's hospitality 101. That's what we all do every day. Yeah, so how sure. can I help? How can we, how can we serve you? So sometimes it's absolutely nothing. And sometimes it's taking care of an immediate need or, or need concerning a stay. So will we be perfect? I'm sure <laughs> nothing related to this could be perfect, but we're going to at least keep the trainings going and do the best related to delivering that promise of being welcoming to all and just being able to be there to help. So, I mean, we offered a, our minor league baseball team offered a sensory friendly game this season. And I mean, I can't think of a less unfriendly or less friendly place to, to have sensory <laughs> challenges. So you think about how they were able to do that. And that was one of the key things was that they, we trained the staff of just ask how you can help. And maybe that if there's a, a quiet place to go and a way to step away from anything that may be of an issue. So what Visit Mesa has done has been fantastic to get all of the locations certified through the IBCCES. And I actually went through that training as well as a, so there is a certified travel professional training as well for individuals. So that's been something that I can offer in our destination that if you are coming here and you need help in planning or help in any resources that I'm available to answer that and, and help as a, as a travel professional um, certified through that program. So it's a, it's a really nice addition to be able to be in that network and what visit visit Mesa has done has helped their whole destination do that. And that's where we're also doing it. We're not certified in that way, but we have definitely put a very strong emphasis on training and making sure that our people are able to accommodate our guests' needs. And and frankly, and you know, we've talked a lot in the DMO world about community benefit and how this um, helps. I, I haven't found a better program of late that that hits this as well because what everything that we're doing has been geared to visitors, yeah. but it's absolutely affected the community as well. So now that people that live in our community are able to go to more programming opportunities, we've focused it on sensory processing, but 
It's also related to those that might be um, experiencing PTSD, dementia. It's, it affects a lot of people that where uh, sensory processing um, issues come up in many ways that you, you might not think of otherwise. So I think it's helped us make a lot of connections into the community as well from our attractions and our hotels and our, and our other locations. So that's been a nice side benefit. I mean, obviously we knew it would help the community, but to the degree it is, has been even more amazing than I thought it would be. Our zoo has had a long-standing program that they've done for people to visit and have sensory. I mean, a zoo is also, it's a lot of smells and a lot of sounds and a lot of different things. So their program before we started all this was averaging maybe 40 to 50 a month, and now it's averaging 200. So the the numbers are following. Um, the Wharton Center's performance, while the theater seats more, we didn't sell the full theater purposefully so that it wasn't overcrowded and it wasn't too many people close together. So they had we had over 1,500 people come to that one sensory-friendly performance, and they were from all over the state. They were from other locations throughout the Midwest. So that's where it starts to be like, okay, we're, we're touching something that people are looking for. And so the Wharton Center is continuing with their programming, and they are offering different family shows, and they'll do another Broadway show next season. And so we just want to keep running with this. It seems like every time we think we've got, okay, this is our program. Now it's like, okay, how about restaurants? Have we attached any restaurants to this initiative? Because food is another challenge. And so people are looking for dietary needs, some places that are more quiet, some places that are more noisy. So how can we categorize that and make uh, restaurants and food options available? We're working with our airport through Wings for Autism to do a uh, training so that people can experience uh, traveling through from the checking in at the gate or to the get your boarding pass to going through TSA, through checking in at the gate, getting on the plane, going through all the instructions, taxiing around, and then just learning how to navigate that process before you actually have to do it. And I know many communities have done that, and we feel like that's going to be a nice addition to this whole process. And so we continue and we keep going, and it's been extremely satisfying as a community. Well, satisfying, I, that can't even be the word. I mean, I, re I remember what it was like watching my daughter's faces when they went to their first Broadway musical at the age of four or five. And to be able to be either back of the house or out in the lobby when a 16-year-old or a 23-year-old comes out from their first theatrical experience has to just be the most amazing feeling in the world. So when the house was full for the performance, there may have been a lot of tears coming down my face just to see the audience because there were families dressed up to the nines. There were grandparents that had never been able to go to a theatrical performance with their child or, or with their grandchild or their family member. Their whole family was able to go. Usually it's like mom will go with this child and dad will stay home with this child because we don't want it to get too difficult. So it was just a beautiful moment, and, and it continues with now being able to go to all the other locations and welcoming people to our community that maybe have been hesitant or unable to even venture from their home. So, yeah, it's just been totally amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations for being one of the leaders 
uh, in the DMO world going down this path, a path that we should have been on years ago, probably just didn't know any better. And, uh, and hopefully this is inspiration for all of us uh, to do a better job uh, with those who need our help to enjoy our destinations. Uh, one more time, the URL for where people can find more about Lansing's program. Yes, it is lansing.org slash sensory friendly. All right. Again, congratulations and bonus round time. Can't let you go yet. Uh, when we had John Grow on a recent episode of DMOU, he shared, uh, this is probably one of the weirder ones, that he had interned with House Speaker Newt Gingrich in the 80s when he was in college. You're like, okay, how did you get to DMO world, right? That tourism marketing was also not your intended destination. You told me that you were planning a career with the State Department, like Man from Uncle or I Spy, right? But your DC connection changed your intended path and brought you to tourism. Tell us the story. Oh boy. So <laughs> I actually got to talk to John Grope because I'm thinking we might have been in DC about the same time in the same kind of situation. So back in those 80s days, I was taking a, a semester and studying in the American University in Washington, D.C. And one of the components of the program was to find an internship while you were there. And it was a big part of the program because you were there to build experience and learn about it. And so being that someone who wanted to work for the State Department and be that cool embassy person in, in the world. So I went to the to the World Bank office in D.C. I think I went to American Red Cross because they had international programs. Everywhere I went was like already committed, full, sorry, sorry, sorry. And this was, you know, before cell phones. So literally I was walking Washington, D.C. door to door trying to find an internship. So on the list was this, it just said presidential campaign. And I thought, huh, well, it's around the corner. So let me give it a whirl because I'm kind of tired of <laughs> walking all over town. So as a presidential campaign, they were, of course, they have the need for yeah, right. as many interns as want to walk in the door. So I became an intern for the George Bush for president campaign and started to, and this was before he was even the nominee for the race. So I got put in opposition research and that I was in the video room all the time, dubbing videos, taping the news, all on VCRs. I could work a, a VCR very well. <laughs> so it's all about like getting recognized in an internship when you're in that situation. And while I was there, it was when the stock market crashed in 87 and the Dow dropped, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 some percent in one day, which was the biggest drop ever. So my boss said, hey, um, I need you to call me every half hour and tell me if the market is up or down and by how much. And I said, you got it. So for eight hours, I called him every half hour and I just said, down 12, down 24, down 88, down 100 and whatever. So on and on and on. I don't think he really expected me to yeah. do as vigilant a job as I did. So he remembered me. And so I, you know, the market obviously corrected pretty quickly in that instance. George Bush went on to be president. I finished up school and then I was going to move to DC to start this whole path. And I called my friends, I called my old boss and they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you. And they got me a political appointment and I fell right into tourism because they put me in the United States travel and tourism administration. So we were within the Department of Commerce and we, yeah, I remember. Yeah. It was an amazing organization. One of the smallest, well, 
absolutely the smallest in the Department of Commerce, but one of the smaller ones even in the federal government. So we had offices in 10 countries. We were the ones charged with marketing the United States internationally. So um, I helped plan the International Tourism Conference. I did a program related to disaster relief grants, so where we gave grants following natural disasters, such as the Alaskan oil spill and different earthquakes and hurricanes, that when the message gets out that we've had this horrible hurricane, it's devastated all of North Carolina, and then there's no money or no assistance to get the message back related to tourism that we're open for business. Things are still going. So so that was part of my job. I Because it was such a small agency, I got to do some amazing things. And that really then spiked my thought, all right, I'm eventually going to move back to Michigan. And I think I like this tourism world. So I never got to the <laughs> State Department, but, um, yeah. but here I am. I got to work with, you know, I went from that organization where people on our board were Bill Marriott and Dick Nunes, who ran Walt Disney Attractions and Peter Uberoff. But it was a great opportunity to to connect with the with the national level. And like I said, just fell into it because really I was just too lazy to pound the pavement anymore trying to find an internship. So <laughs> isn't it amazing how we all find our way to this place? It is so amazing. And then once it gets us, it gets us because I've been here. This was then the job I found after being in Washington, D.C., and I've been here 26 years. So once it gets you, it gets you. Wow, it does. And I'm glad it did. Congratulations once again on all that you do there in Lansing and all that you do for the industry. It's uh, pretty exciting stuff, and that's why we do what we do. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Travelability Summit, a first ever gathering of travel industry professionals with product and service innovators dedicated to improving the travel experience for individuals with physical, behavioral, and cognitive disabilities. Its aim is to make destinations accessible to everyone. The inaugural summit scheduled for San Francisco, November 12th and 13th, travelabilitysummit.com is where you can find more. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That is DMOPros with a Z.com. The executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.